I'm ready for these. I'm ready for these old talking heads who are who only care about money to be done. And not to compare, you know, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and um, Rudy Giuliani and Henry Kissinger even to, you know, Hitler. But, you know, it's one of those things like what would you have would the, the Jewish people who celebrated Hitler's death have been looked down upon? You know, and I feel the same way about these people. Like, I'm not going to be sad when Mitch McConnell well, dies. And a thousand tiny cuts will kill you, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it may take one giant slash for you to bleed out, but a thousand tiny cuts will also cause you to bleed out. And these yeah. men have made a thousand tiny cuts upon the Constitution. And America is bleeding out. America is hemorrhaging from the decisions they're making for money. That's wrong. Yeah. Please purchase my cassette tape, How to End Up on an NSA Watch List. Oh, we're 100%. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. There's no, there's no way that we're not after this. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Read This Way. I am political prowess, Jace Wingate, and this is our co-host. The... Reluctant anarchist Renee Pogue. And we definitely are on an NSA watch list. <laughs> but you know what? We're still young, we're beautiful, and we're free spirits. So we're just going to say what we want, and hopefully a producer will pick us up. I mean, we have a First Amendment for a reason. Yeah, freedom of speech. Come get me, Bill Barr. I'm ready. I dare you. Honestly, I someone dare you. come get me. Someone <laughs> <laughs> Someone I'm, I'm begging you, somebody. <laughs> I, you know, every year I try to I'm I I report my numbers, right? But I do still live in fear that the IRS is gonna snatch me up in the middle of the night and I'll never be seen again. Well, it's because the tax system is so messed up. They're just like, uh, here, report what you have based on the documents we give you. But if you're wrong, and it's like, well, how do I know if I'm wrong or not? You'll find out. How will I find out? Because we'll arrest you. <laughs> oh. Knock on the door. Knock, knock, knock. <laughs> it's like, uh, you hi, you were, <laughs> you were uh, $150 off to the decimal point. So um, <laughs> get in, Wesley Snipes. I had a person tell me once, who I won't tell the relation to me, but they're like, just put down that you like drive 30,000 miles for work every year. And I'm like, are they not going to notice that that's like a really clean number? Like, <laughs> and, and then her response was, you make so little money. They're not going to care. And I'm like, but what, when, what happens when they do care? What happens when and, they do? Like, like literally to me, they're like these like tiki, like tiki stone, like hinge ask like deities who like are lying dormant until I fuck up my taxes and then their eyes glow red and they come for me. Like Olmec from Legends of the Hidden Temple. Yes, that's exactly what I think the IRS is. That's literally how I see them in my mind. So want to do a quick shout out to my friend Stuart, who is super wonderful and amazing and crazy talented. Um, I talk I've talked before about how crazy it is when you know that your friends are talented and then you hear something they've done or you see something they're performing and 
it like clicks in your brain like, oh, my God, I knew they were talented, but holy shit, they're really talented. And Stuart to me is like that. If you like sports and if you like fun uh, stories about sports, you should definitely listen to the Obscure Ball podcast on Spotify. And if you have a podcast and you need some great production work or you have an idea for a podcast that you want to see brought to fruition, you should check out Small League Productions. He's amazing. He's super helpful. And uh, yeah, Stuart is fantastic. Anyways, the end. Listen to his podcast. Thank you, Stuart, for your help. And we really do appreciate you. And everyone do. Please give Obscure um, Obscure Ball Podcast. Mm-hmm. Please give Obscure Ball Podcast a listen because when one of us helps another, we all grow a little bit. Uh, I actually guessed it on an episode. Oh, yes. On the most recent episode, Renee is a guest spot. Mm-hmm. On the episode Home Field Advantage. I guest on it and talk about conspiracies. So if you're not tired of my voice yet, you can hear more of it. Talking about other things. <laughs> yes. And if you are tired of my voice, me too. I'm always tired of my voice. I'm going to jump us into this recap. Okay. If you're joining us on this episode of Read This Way, I am going to take this moment to encourage you to take a breath orient yourself around the room and realize that you are joining us on part two of blankets by Craig Thompson. And you should go back one episode to episode one of blankets where we covered the first two chapters of blankets. Now, if you're brave and strong and have a very strong spine and are grounded in the earth, and you feel that you just want to trudge forward with the story, um, I am here to offer you a brief, very limited narrative recap of what happened. Yeah, we we can't stop you, but we can offer you this. Yes, this is all that I can offer you. This is the standard insurance that you're paying monthly for. I promise (laughs) you, if you want to pay a little bit more with your time, and you want the premium insurance, you're going to want to go back an episode and get the full effect. But again, it's your decision. Here we are. I'll give you three seconds. And now I'm going to trudge forward with my recap. Last episode, we covered the first two chapters of Craig Thompson's Blankets. And what we find is an autobiographical uh, graphic novel about Craig Thompson's life growing up within the evangelical church. So the first two chapters, we get a brief glimpse into Craig's life He has parents who he lives on a farm with. He has a younger brother named Phil who he shares a bed with. And we kind of get a little glimpse into the dynamics of their relationship. Craig loves his brother Phil very much. And they often find themselves in moments of mischief. And typically what we see with young siblings is there's also a sense of rivalry and a sense of combat that comes with being young and growing up together. We particularly see a moment in Craig's life where they share this bed and they begin fighting over the blanket. They begin fighting over the position of the bed, typical young sibling stuff. And their dad barges in saying they're making too much noise and they begin an argument over not wanting to share the bed. Phil is ripped from the bed by their father and put into a crawl space where there are spiders. And that becomes kind of a motif through the two chapters that we covered where 
Craig is in a Sunday school meeting and the Sunday school teacher with low key, no chill is covering um, the concept of hell with these like young elementary school children. And Craig reflects upon his brother, Phil being in the crawl space. And that's basically what the first two chapters are about is Craig navigating both his school life when he is young. And then there is kind of a time leap where he covers his high school life as well and how he kind of sacrifices any drive that he has, his passions for his relationship with the church. And he's an incredible artist. There's this beautiful moment where he burns his art because a pastor tells him that he should go into the ministry and a beautiful panel where it's almost pagan-esque, where these drawings are kind of being exercised out of his body. Mm -hmm. And he goes to a, a church camp over winter break where he meets a girl named Raina. And that's where we're kind of left at the end of chapter two, this budding relationship between two young people that feels as though it's platonic. If we want to hyperimpose that it's romantic, that's kind of a societal push. So I'm going to leave it out. We see this beautiful budding platonic relationship where it's two people depending upon one another. So Renee, if you want to throw anything in, I feel like that's kind of a very vague cover of what happened in the first two chapters. I think a lot of it is just about the push and pull of of knowing what your passion is and wanting to follow that versus hiding your light under a bushel because you were, you know, you were told that's the right thing to do. And I I I feel like there's there's some continuation of that in these next few chapters that I'm really looking forward to talking about and exploring. Chapter 3 starts out so wonderfully. I love the way he kind of goes back and forth in time to show these different aspects of his childhood. And while he doesn't explicitly say, this is how this is going to parlay into my, my further growth, you, it's, it's kind of unspoken. I love this opening scene because, one, I know exactly what type of snow they're talking about. And I think it's so telling that at this young age... Craig is so focused on doing the right thing in the name of Christianity that even this fun moment with his brother is turned into something that he equates with a religious experience that he can't win. And I think too, he kind of finds this like, it's really, it's really kind of growing into this therapeutic project, right? Like, I feel like I'm reading pages of like, oh, this is me healing from this experience. This is me kind of like gathering an understanding I didn't have in the moment mm -hmm. of what was happening to me. And I think he also finds a really great sense of humor about it all too. Like I think particularly the, um, we had to step ever so gingerly like a cat or like Jesus walking on the water. Because, because I'm sure in his young, childish mind, that's what he—that's what he, as an adult, realizes he was subconsciously equating it to. And those, how they're both so like, and I—I I think it's such a great metaphor for living the li living life under the lens of religion. It's you have these like really mm -hmm. you like. It's like I'm a cat, or it's like I'm this deity who I worship walking on the water. Everything has to be taken in its most serious sense. Yes. 
it's not just me having a fun time with my brother. It's this religious experience of me fighting against my own sinful humanity. Everything is elevated. But not in like an intellectual way, just in a way that makes makes you almost lose the true purpose. I don't know. I don't want to say the true purpose, but it's like it, it almost takes away the enjoyment. Yes. It's it's a ritual. It's like it's no longer just the simple act of walking on snow. It becomes this ritual of, you're right, like it's a test of faith. It's like suddenly if I equate this to my faith, then I'm growing stronger in my walk with God. But then it also becomes, it's almost like it's that um, dual meaning. It's almost pagan. The idea of like, I'm like a cat or like I'm Jesus walking on the water. Like I'm trying to imitate something that I never should be able to try to imitate, right? And that would be impossible to imitate. It's this ideal you can never reach. No. And to equate yourself with the person that you worship, like that's pagan Mm -hmm. itself. But as a child, you don't realize that. You just, you just are shooting for an ideal that adults have told you you should be striving for. And you have no concept of what you're actually doing. You you're you are sewn into that like fabric of limited understanding so early, mm-hmm. because there's no. It's again, fa- it's that again dual meaning of faith is personal, but you have to have faith to believe. So if you mm-hmm. keep meaning what faith technically is defined as, very mysterious, very personal, but you're also in a group setting where these like judgments are being made around what is faithful, what isn't faithful, then you're just in this constant struggle of grasping where your faith falls. How do I know that I have faith when I don't have an exterior like proof of it? Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That's so deep. Oh my God. Thank you. How about when he heckles <laughs> the fifth grade a Sunday school teacher, bitch, you're ruining my fucking set. Like, stop talking. Like, <laughs> I was so heartbroken for little fifth grade Craig because I, she, it, out of all of the things that are suggested by the other kids, his is the least ridiculous. Like, snowmobiling. No, there's not going to be any fucking snowmobiling in heaven. Why is that okay? But poor little skinny bowl cut Craig. She's like, Craig, you fucking idiot. Well, and it's it's so hypocritical too because faith is dependent upon the imagination. Faith is literally believing mm-hmm. without seeing. So it's this evidence of like, you should believe what I believe, but the moment you offer something that my imagination can't fathom, then I'm going to tell you it's wrong. And like, mm-hmm. given... I. I also love fighting for the Sunday school teacher who's like this volunteer mother who's like, I volunteered to do this and you're asking me questions that like I can't answer. (laughs) But also, how can you praise God with drawings as if the Renaissance period did not exist? She said, I mean, come on, Craig, how can you praise God with drawings? Like, dang, Sunday school teacher mom, like you're, you're you're going for blood. Acting like she doesn't have at least one painting of Jesus in her house. Exactly. So it, it's, again, it's ignorance. Mm-hmm. And it's ignorance leading, the, the teaching these children. And again, I want to, I feel like I, I feel like I pushed too hard last podcast about my issues with religion and my issues with the teachings of religion. I don't believe religion to be inherently insidious, but I do believe that there are sections 
of religious beliefs where the teachings are unfortunately and indirectly insidious. And I feel like we're seeing a picture into that in this particular parable that he's telling about his life. Yeah, I think anytime, because that's essentially, I know I mentioned it earlier, but you're extinguishing the flame of passion in a a burgeoning youth. And you're telling him to hide his, his talent and his light under a bushel, you know, to, to quote the parable. And it's telling somebody that if you don't fit into the strict ideal of what we think worship is and what we think paying homage to our deity is, then you're not doing it correctly, which also, like what we talked about last time, takes away that personal relationship because if your relationship has to look like everyone else's, then it's not personal. Exactly. You're so right, Renee. You know, I'm professionally gay. And like, if the church didn't have such a strong feeling towards me being gay, I could have been professionally gay in the church and I could have fucking blossomed. I would have been beautiful, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I'd probably be a youth pastor now. You would have been, you would be such a great youth pastor. Because here's the thing, Renee, is I think your heart is such in the right place that you could really like change the youth for the better. Thank you. You preach such love and are just so compassionate and are so just in the things that you believe that you could raise a generation to be a group of better people. Thank you. Maybe this will be my way of doing my part for the youth of America. Maybe this is truly, maybe this podcast is how you spread your message, how we spread our message of love and indignation Mm -hmm. for the wrong. Maybe this is how we start yeah. our cult. Ah, uh, yes, finally. <laughs> uh, it's it's funny when he was, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, but when he does try to do the the like drawing for Christianity with like the cartoon Jesus and everything, it reminded me of Chick Tracks. Do you know what those are? I've never. Tell me what Trick Tracks are. But yeah, they're religious tracks made by this guy named Jack chick and you you probably don't know them by that name but you've definitely seen one because they are insanely popular but it definitely it reminded me of his well of course his drawing is a little more cartoony but it reminded me of the type of not illustration but the type of storytelling that chick tracks employ It's a very like, let me tell you what Jesus did. All right, time to say the prayer. And of course, you know, I don't want to make fun of it too much. You can definitely see that poor little teenage Craig's heart is in the right place. But it seems almost, I don't want to say blasphemous, but it's just, it's taking a very serious thing and making it very, not, well, somewhat flippant i agree and i think this is it's just a pivotal panel it's a pivotal panel where he's like i obviously can't marry my two passions like it's not Mm -hmm. i love that the very next thing that we get is the letter from reyna and that's what inspires his passion it's these it's again Mm -hmm. it's, it's the tangible versus the intangible what is present in this world that inspires me what can i draw from and it's his imagination can't fathom bringing his drawing together with 
his relationship with Christ. So of course it only makes sense that this living, breathing person in the world becomes his muse. Because when he, and he, he talks about this a little bit later in this chapter, but um, he, it's a give and take. He sends her stuff and she mails him stuff back. So it's a beneficial relationship where you get back what you put in. Yes. And then the, the, the masturbating to the handwriting. Oh yeah. It was very weird. Yeah. I'm like, it was very weird. I see. I'm like, that's dramatic. <laughs> that was a very dramatic whole page. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for letting us know. I mean, I guess it's poetic in a way, but I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. And then I think the image, I think like seeing, I think it's so important because again, it's like the first time he's masturbated. The first mm-hmm. time he's ever done this, and it's this euphoric experience, the build up to the climax, and then the grief. Like the starkness of the yes. grief at the bottom of the experience. And I think it's so, mm-hmm. it, that, that's what it's like. I remember the first time TMI, ready? The first time I masturbated to gay porn when I was still very in the throes of church. The euphoria and then the grief that I felt afterwards. I would, I would actively say, you need to practice you know, masturbating to a woman. Mm. So that way, like, and I would actively, I would do it. And then I would somehow begin the cycle. Like I'm going to marry a girl. I'm going to marry a girl and everything's going to be okay. I feel like this, this next scene we have, like with them taking the, uh, the sacrament, I feel like we are seeing the first crack and what will eventually become Craig's disbelief. And I think it's because when we see the pastor's full thing talking about taking taking the flesh and taking the blood, and if you are unworthy, then you will become weak and sickly. And I think Craig sees in himself somebody who is not, he does not have a strong countenance. He gets sick a lot. I think as he reflects on those words, that is something he is going to have to deal with. Why am I this way when I should be stronger, when I should be healthier? And when the, the he straight up tells the pastor that he's very susceptible to diseases and he's not sure if he would be safe going and ministering and the, the minister just shuts it down. You're safe wherever the Lord is with you. Yeah. Go forth and go get smallpox. Sorry, I don't think the Lord has a fucking PhD in, you know, disease prevention. Yeah, I don't think the Lord works for the CDC. I definitely don't these days. Poor little sick teenage Craig. And it's obviously because, I mean, that was my thing in the first two chapters. I'm like, they're going to get sick in that room. It's so disgustingly cold slash disgustingly hot. Like, they're going to get ill. There's no avoiding it i kind of feel bad that we don't see i mean i hope that in five and six we get to see more phil because like we see one page with him in it well other than you know the story at the very beginning but it's obvious just from looking at the dinner scene that you know as opposed to craig who is going through this very not counterculture but uh he's very much 
focusing his teenage years on trying to make himself as church appropriate as possible. And then this one image we see of Phil, it's clear he's got what looks like some version of a Chelsea and some black jacket on. So I want to know what Phil is going through. I want to know more about this punk phase that Phil is showing, because I think that also, you know, is going to tell a lot about the dynamics of this family, because it doesn't seem like Craig is treated very well. But is Phil treated better, even though he's rebelling? Is Phil treated worse? Is he overlooked? I need to know these things. I do too. You know, because of what we saw in the first two chapters, I would say that Craig is kind of more the the more favorite child by default. And I think we, again, Phil getting thrown into the crawl space. I'm like, okay, I think that's a very clear sign of dynamic. Mm -hmm. But I also, just the way that his dad talks to him, I need to know more about how the dad treats both of them. I think the dad's just your typical cold farmer father who like, Mm-hmm. was raised in a difficult situation and like that just didn't escape. He didn't escape the difficult situation and it clearly influenced the way he treated his family. And then Raina fucking driving through the snow. I'm like, She's girl. Just... And it bringing him out of his sickness, which just seems very biblical in a sense. And I'm sure as we will see, if not later in this chapter than the next chapter, I think he definitely was trying to draw those parallels but I do love that the way he he shows it, we only see Raina's side of the conversation. Yeah. Like we have no idea what he's responding to her. It's just solely focused on her and her predicament and what I assume he imagined her predicament to be like because he's not there, but he's just imagining her in this horrible blizzard snowstorm stuck in a payphone booth. Like driving through that to see him. That's so intense it really is and of course that's such an american thing it's only 400 miles like yeah 400 miles you can get there in uh eight hours just a casual jaunt to state over no big deal so i love that the mom is such a devout christian but then when he's like um can i take two weeks off to go visit reyna she's like okay She's like, sure, just like make sure your grades are good and like talk to your dad well he knows exactly which buttons to push Because he's like, all they teach us is evolution and how God is dead. And then she's like, sex education. So he knows exactly what to say to get her to agree to it. And and they're Christian. You know, you just got to like check the right boxes. Exactly. My mom would have been like, "Um, yeah, in another life, like not, not queen, you're going to school. Yeah, like taking, I guess it was taking a week off of school. Because he had a break that was going to be most of it. Oh, that's right. So he would be taking a week off school. You're right. But that's a lot. He's very brave to even proposition that. And then for it to happen. Yeah. And he was just like, whatever. Jumped through the hoops he needed to and was in the car. Or yeah, met halfway and then was in the car. And I love her dad so much. Just like him talking the whole way is just, it's good because it's like it, it takes away some of the uh, discomfort of of being in a strange place and seeing like again this really kind adult that we haven't seen mm-hmm. yet in this story like we haven't seen two kind adults who are very caring and loving 
like the mom i would say craig's mom is loving but it's like in a very it's in that weird christian way where it's like i love you but if you like were to come out or like tell me that you were something that goes against my religion i disown you yep i love you as long as you tick the right boxes exactly but i feel i don't know i feel like her i don't i feel like her dad is very sweet and it is you know it's it's got to be strange to let a stranger come into your house during such a tumultuous time in their family. And they're, you know, both of her parents are just so sweet and so excited for him to be there. Yes. That it was just very nice. And I love the quilt. Our second blanket in the story. Yes. If and, you're counting. And like calling the blanket sacred, like making it this beautiful mm-hmm. like totem of their love. And I think that's really incredible. Yeah, the beautiful panel where he draws them in the patterns of the quilt. That was like a stop and pause moment. Yes. It's like, oh, man, so good. What a great artist you are, Craig, when you're not drawing for Jesus. And so beautiful. Like, what a beautiful storyteller through drawing alone. How did you feel about the portrayal of her brother and sister? I love Laura. I think Ben is interesting, too. I can't wait to find out more about him. Yeah, he seems very, um, I I think he just doesn't like change. Yeah, I think he's very protective of his, like, sister. And I think he's very protective Mm -hmm. of his family. I wonder if there's, like, something that we'll find out later about the way that Raina has been treated by men. Oh, maybe. That might inform why Ben acts the way that he does. Or he just might be inherently protective of his sister. I love Lara. I think that she is just such... A beautiful character in the story. I found that one scene with her in chapter four to be a little off-putting. It was a choice, and I don't feel like it was the right one. Where he's talking about how she's beautiful until the machinery starts working. Mm-hmm. And also just like, it seems weird to have the scene where she's topless. It seems strange to show that. I noticed that too. I was like, I, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know if this is the right choice or bold choice or like what's happening here with this one. I don't quite understand what you were going for there. And I don't think, because it, it doesn't seem like Craig himself was there for that moment. So this is just something that adult Craig thought would be important to include, which I was like, hmm. This is a female character who we've seen pretty much can't consent to something like this. So, yes, I agree with that. I I agree. Like this is a real person. So Craig Thompson, there's your critique. However, I will say, I love the line Laura doesn't believe in tomorrow. I wrote like, that line down too. I thought that was beautiful. I was like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah, Laura is the person we need today because I don't know if I believe in tomorrow anymore. Seriously, I think she's – it's such a family dynamic that he has never seen before. Mm -hmm. It embraces so fully that I agree. I'm not entirely sure what the the shirtless panel is meant to prove. And then saying – yeah. Like that she was absolutely beautiful when she was sitting still. And I'm like, I don't really know why you're – like trying to insinuate that she wasn't beautiful when she was active when she's truly herself like she's beautiful as long as she isn't acting like herself exactly oh my god and how the 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 naked woman drawing oh my god renee i totally have a story like this 
Really? Yeah. So I didn't draw a naked lady or anything, but I did write the word fuck on a piece of paper and like hit it under the couch or I think I just threw it under there. And like, I don't know why the fuck my, so I have this aunt who's a fucking terrible person. She's absolutely awful. Like basically excommunicated from the family. She's so terrible. And then we have a super religious aunt as well. Who's also pretty evil was over at our house and was going under the couch for some reason and found the piece of paper. And then I'd have like this sit down conversation with my dad about the F word (laughs) and how using profanity wasn't godly. And we prayed about it. It was all very, my dad was really nice. It was, it was more my aunt being crazy. Yeah. My dad was really nice about it. Um, And we prayed about it and I cried. I was like, Oh my God, I'm sorry. Like it was more me crying out of not wanting to get in trouble, but I totally had a moment like that. I will say, I think his parents handled it very well. I feel like this scene gives us more insight into his parents than any we've gotten so far. And I honestly, I've heard the way some parents deal with stuff like this. And I think they handled it very well. The body is beautiful, but not like that when you exploit it for your own pleasure. And they're 100% right. Yeah, I think she's more leaning into the God created us, but sin has made us impure. So mm-hmm. that, that, that freaks me out a little bit, but I agree. I think the intention with which thinking of it is right. And I love that his his mother realizes that drawing is his talent, and this is where we see him actually getting encouragement. Yes, for it. But the whole like, ugh, it, it hurt. It hurts Jesus when you sin. It's like okay, I roll. Like I'm sure it does. Uh, he, well, you know what? According to um the catholic canon jesus saw everybody's sins when he was in the garden of gethsemane deciding if he was going to die for humanity or not so he's already seen you do it so if you don't do it died for nothing yeah commit the sin do it (laughs) he's already seen you do it so might as well i was genuinely surprised by how much i liked reyna's mother And I think it's just because, like, you know her parents are getting a divorce. So you kind of, like, it's like the dad is so friendly if they're getting a divorce. The mom has to kind of be, you know, a bitch. But she's not. She's super fucking friendly. We're we're thrown into the throes of a very nuanced divorce where both parties Mm -hmm. are very kind. And there is a reason that this isn't working. And I love that Craig doesn't pry into that. He just kind of plays it on like, I'm a guest in this house. And both of these people were really kind to me. I was so sure at this point. I'm skipping past so much. (laughs) I'm skipping past so much. But I thought it was so weird when he went to bed. And he's having these weird visions with all of the stuffed animals lined up on the bookshelf. I thought for sure I was like, we're gonna hear about the babysitter. Yes, finally a story about the babysitter. And, and then, then touch on the babysitter. I wanna know more. And then I wanna know more. I was okay, I'm glad that you thought the same thing because I was just like, yeah, I was just like, yes, we're gonna get that story. I need to know the context. And he just skips right past it. But I mean, it has to be in reference to that. And I think it's just like a part of his trauma he's not ready to show us yet. Yeah. There's more of a a story there. I've definitely had that feeling of sleeping in a foreign place and having, and especially when I was younger, like the difficulty of falling asleep in a place that wasn't home. Mm -hmm. And then the waking up and just the complete disorientation. I love that static has many representations 
And there's like the static of waking up in a dark room that's unfamiliar to you. And it takes you a moment to figure out where you, where are, where am I? How did I get here? Am I okay? Is this a safe space? Should I be worried? But then you're like, oh yeah. And I love how like the disjointed scenes then all fill with Reina. And then he's like, oh yeah, I mean, this is something to be excited about. Yes. Oh, wait, that's right. I'm near someone that I really care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ben, just this lovely conversation that gets interrupted. And Ben chooses not to stay. I know. It made me sad that he just doesn't like Craig for whatever reason. What about the panel of him being co- like covered in Cheerios? <laughs> I think that was uh, him just kind of being overwhelmed with what Reyna is telling him. Well, one, that secrets can have multiple meanings, but yes. just like the weight of what she's telling him. And it's so much easier to, instead of focusing on this, you know, existential ideal, to focus instead on, like he says, I was grateful for cereal. You know, is something he can focus on that doesn't require any brain work. And her poor dad, he's trying so hard. But he just doesn't understand vegetarianism. I'd be like, sausage is meat, dad. I mean, I, I love that Raina has such patience for him. Raina's like, mm-hmm. that's probably a factor that goes into why that divorce happens. Like he's not, he he can't pick up the needs. And it's not insidious. It's not doing it out of like, I'm going to be this asshole dad. It's him just not being capable of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I book sausage McMuffins because like I love these and I figured you would love them. And then remembering, oh, I. Oh, wait, that's right. (laughs) Sausage is meat. He sees the note and that's pretty heartbreaking. And he's like, I thought it was going really well. Oh, yeah. Where he's just like, I thought this was working and apparently it's not. That's very heartbreaking because, you know, we find out in a little bit from what from this very personal moment he has with Craig that he believes this can be fixed. Yeah. He believes that if, if you put enough work in it, if, if I do, and it's a very sort of, you know, he says it's from, you know, growing up in the church, but I mean, that's essentially what you see in the church is, do you want this to work? Do step A, then step B, then step C, and it'll work. So in his mindset, he's like, all I have to do is steps A, B, and C. And I'm doing steps A, B, and C. And she says it's not working. And now I don't know what to do. I wonder I wonder what the significance of taking that medicine was, too. Yeah. Because I wonder. Yeah, because I don't think they mention, like, what they are. No, they don't. And it's clearly, it's clearly shown that she takes the medicine and then asks for the message to be dictated. Well, we hear that her day is, I mean, it's probably if I was her, (laughs) it would be like some sort of anti-anxiety medication because it is just clear that she, her plate is beyond full. She works right away in the morning and then she has therapy and then she has a Bible study group at night. So like she's busy all day. And I, I mean, I'm sure that you know, we at this point, we don't necessarily see a whole lot of the interactions within their marriage. We just know that they fought with each other. So it, you know, it could, the strain could just be from both of them being spread too thin. And that's absolutely like 100% true. A lot of things happen to end marriages and strain can absolutely be one of them. 
and just being overworked and not being able to take the time for each other. Yeah. When I went back to school, Kat and I struggled because suddenly our schedules were completely opposite. I was going to school during the day and I was working at night and I was having to stay up until like 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning and working on assignments and sometimes be up at three, four o'clock in the morning to go do a catering order before classes. So I understand that, you know, when you when you don't get to see each other and you don't get to spend that time together, it can be very draining on your relationship. I can't believe you worked so hard when you were going back to school. It sucked. <laughs> it sucked so much. Uh, I'm very glad that that period of my life is behind me. Yeah, this chapter basically ends with... Um... It's super brief. The fourth chapter was super brief. Um, it really did. And I guess because a lot of it was there's so much dialogue in the third chapter as opposed to the fourth chapter, which is a lot of visuals. I love the image of, again, we see the imagination being stripped down because the, of mm-hmm. the, the static. We see the we actually there are three moments of static. You have the static of Phil and Craig playing um, with the blanket because of the static electricity mm-hmm. and saying that it's like Tinkerbell and of course going downstairs and their mom being like, it's static from the blanket. And they're like, Oh, it's not my, it's not magic shit. Which again, I wonder if that's just like, why do we discourage our children to not have imaginations? I think it is. There's a strange need to be right. And like, you're an adult and you have the knowledge and there it's, I, I mean, fuck, I've done this before where it's like you're so obsessed with knowing that you have the right answer that you don't think of maybe it's better to just not be a know-it-all right now. It's like, why not Why not just let the child have this moment? Let the child be right. Mm-hmm. It, you know that it's static, but they're, they're like an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Let them have a moment of happiness. Could it be that again, fear of the pagan? Like if you if you go on, if you like let them think that it's magic, or you let them think that it's like Tinkerbell, then somehow that goes against your faith. I mean, I definitely knew parents like that when I was younger. I had a friend who wasn't allowed to watch My Little Pony because her mother said it was satanic since it contained magic. And this was the original like 1980s, 90s My Little Pony because I'm old. But yeah. There are definitely families like that who believe not even like Harry Potter magic, but any sort of whimsical magic is evil, is satanic. Yeah. Again, I'm like, I'm trying not to let this book make me sad, but it makes me sad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love that that's the memory. And then it's revisited like when they have this moment of seeing the static in the snow, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that um, freshly falling snow produced static. So it created this kind of- I didn't of, know either. I thought that was really fascinating. And then again, four, actually I lied, four moments of static, the spoken, the, the attraction of the static of these two kids, like Craig and Raina mm-hmm. falling in love. That is the fourth static that we see. Yeah, it it ends really well. I love her concern of like, am I doing the same thing? Am I turning magic into static? And he's like, no, never. You could never. And just like this weird little awkward teenage moment they have in the snow together is lovely. And it's there are no expectations. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's what's happening in that moment. There's no nervousness. It's just so natural. And like this exploration of love 
I think it's really healthy. I just think it's a really healthy exploration of young love. And I like how smart Raina is. Like she is very smart. And I think this is this particular scene is the first time we see it. Like when she explains why the snow crackles. And then she talks about how fast the earth is moving through orbit. We only get a little bit of her personality when we first meet her in chapter two at the church camp. We know that she's a nice person and an interesting figure and obviously an important figure in this guy's life. But even when they're writing to each other, he doesn't necessarily tell us any of the substance of her letters, just how he was obsessed with the material essence of it, with it just being there. It doesn't matter what the substance is, just the fact that she sent one. So I feel like this scene where they're lying in the snow and they're talking about you know, moving through space and all of this stuff is where we we see how smart and insightful she really is. Renee, you're so good with words. That's beautiful. <laughs> I have to be. They're so, it's so lovely and it's so true. I think like, yeah, I don't have anything else to contribute to that. I just think you're so right. And just how the, you know, there's so much snow that it ends up is it the the sense of space of depth is lost as the snaf- snowflakes fall into a pattern? And then like that page where you have the negative image of the snowflakes to form a cross. But then that dissolves into the static of the snow falling around them. It's stunning. It makes me sad. It is stunning. I will forgive you, Craig Thompson, for the one, your one strange scene in this in this book so far because the rest of it has been so good i'm sure there are going to be stranger scenes yeah yeah i know it's you can uh, you always have to be wary whenever a white dude is writing a graphic novel but so far this has been very engaging what are you looking forward to in the next two chapters i i feel like this is obvious but i really am so excited to see craig and reyna's relationship continue to develop i think it's lovely to see especially after because you know our last book was black hole which tells in a completely different version of the teenage experience and first love so to see this somewhat more wholesome approach is i'm not going to say it's better or worse i'm just going to say it's different and it's interesting to just see this uh, this relationship beginning, you know, without any sort of expectation, with just two people who enjoy the company of each other and seeing how that further blossoms. So, yeah, what do you want to see? I love, I love what you're looking forward to. I think I'm looking forward to the same things, basically. I'm interested to see how this relationship blossoms. Um, I... I love the pivoting between when he's little and when he's older. And I'm interested to see mm-hmm. how that continues throughout the narrative. I, of course, do want to find out more about the babysitter. Yes. I hope that I hope we learn the secrets of this insidious evil babysitter. But also, I respect Craig Thompson's privacy and that like that might be too dark for him to explore. Yeah. So he may not he may not revisit it. It may just be that that's enough. That's all he needs. Because I, you know, part of me is like, I can imagine what happens. You don't have to show me. But also I I'm 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 interested to see if he goes there. 
Yeah, I'm interested to see if the relationship survives. If it does, where does it go? If it doesn't, what happens then? How does he grow from it? Because right now, that this that's the kind of uh, fundamental linchpin in his teenage life is this burgeoning relationship. But I definitely agree with you about the babysitter. Like, while I do, I'm a naturally curious person and I do want to know everything about the story. I am also of the mindset of you don't have to share every part of your trauma for it to be valid. Exactly. So he doesn't have to tell us, but I'm just curious. But I am really looking forward to it. It was very difficult to not read ahead and see uh, what happens next. I'm being respectful of our little book club. We're a little baby book club with our listeners. But they don't ever get to talk. Only no. we get the talking stick. Exactly. We have we have gerrymandered the talking stick. <laughs> and you can't make your own. There's only ours, the official read this way talking sticks. So you're just kind of SOL. Yeah. But you can uh, shoot us an email to let us know how you if you've read Blankets or if this is your first exposure to it and what you're thinking about it so far. Once again, our email address is readthisway.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram if you want to. And as always, listeners, thank you for coming with us on this journey. We hope you're enjoying it. We are absolutely loving doing this having so much fun spending time together and just chit-chatting about graphic novels and comics and, you know, all sorts of intellectual fodder. And I hope this has given you a little bit of inspiration for your own discussions about growing up and teenage years and religion and all that. Maybe you can start a conversation with people in your life about these themes. Uh, you know, I, I think at some point you reach an age where you can talk about your teenage years without it being all tears. You can look back and laugh and be like, wow, uh, we were all pretty dumb back then, weren't we? Anyways, listeners, I will let you continue now with the rest of your day. Go about whatever you were doing before you landed on this podcast through whim or intention. Just as a reminder... I'm Renee Pogue, and he's Jace Wingate. I'm Jace Wingate, and this, and this is Read This Way. Read this, way. and uh, we'll we'll see you next time. See you next time. We love you. Bye. Bye.